the Seek podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Erin Scanlon, your host for this season. Each week, we're sharing content that dives into the heart of the gospel, who God is, who we are, and what it means to live in relationship with Him. We're excited to walk with you as you encounter the Lord. In this episode, Dr. Jonathan Reyes discusses the biblical view of men and women and the set of assumptions that govern today's culture about the sexes. Good morning, Focus. It's good to be with you here at Seek 2021. I guess here is a relative term, isn't it? So it's good to be at least on camera with you and sharing this experience virtually. It's not like previous Seeks where there are thousands of people around, but uh, this is what God has for us. And I trust that the Lord has been using this to touch your lives, to maybe open your minds. Even as a speaker, it's a new experience for me, but it's it's great to be with you. It's great to have this time, and I'm, I'm grateful to have uh, the opportunity to speak to you about this important topic, the biblical view of men and women. That's what I've been asked to speak about this morning. It's a huge topic. It's extremely controversial uh, conversations about gender, sex, male, female, etc. But that's the reason why it's so important we talk about it and get some clarity around it. hundred ways we could go at it, but what I'd like to do with the brief time I have with you is to go at it in three ways, uh, three parts to what I want to say this morning. Number one, I want to do a little bit of philosophical work. Uh, pretty simple, but basic. And here's why. The question I want to present to us is, where do our differences of notion and idea about male, female, men, women come from? And my argument is simply this. They come from some foundational assumptions. We're starting from two very different places. And it's important that we understand the places from which we start our thinking so that we can have conversations that are actually meaningful and conversations that don't just talk past each other. I'm sure you've experienced, maybe been a part of, but at least watched conversations where you feel like the two sides aren't even speaking the same language, that they're in a completely different space. And you'll hear people accuse others of being crazy or mean or clueless. I'd actually contend that uh, the kinds of debates we could be having are actually explicable, that we can understand them if we get to first principles, starting points. And at least we know what our disagreement's about. So instead of shouting conclusions at one another, we can actually talk about where our thought diverges and what that might say to us and what we might reflect on together. So part one, a little bit of philosophical work about the foundations. Second part of my talk this morning is just going to address the two different views that I'm going to present, one being the biblical view and one being a set of assumptions out there that tend to govern uh, most thinking in our culture about man and woman and just make some connections and answer a few questions there. And finally, if I have time, which I hope I'll just have a bit, I just want to speak to, in particular way, to the hearts of the men who are watching this and speak to them about a vision of Christian fatherhood that I hope is inspiring. There won't be a lot of content, but at least can set a course or set a vision for a kind of life that I've experienced is so fruitful and a source of great joy and that I just want to share with all of you watching. So let's start at the beginning. Two foundational starting points for thinking about these questions. This is maybe a little simplistic, but I don't think it's false. You can say there are sort of two historically pervasive visions of the universe. One, I want to call the created order vision of the universe and the other, let's call the scientific materialistic view of the universe. That may not be the perfect name for it, but let's call it that. So scientific materialistic on one side, 
and on the other side, created order. If we get the distinction between these two things right, I think a lot of our other disagreements will become a lot clearer. So let's start with created order. What do we mean by created order? It has been the case that in most civilizations uh, that we have historical record of, so from ancient Greece and Rome to many indigenous peoples to the great civilizations of China and the East, that there's been an understanding that this whole universe, this amazing thing that we're a part of, that is so vast, so beautiful, sometimes terrifying, but mysterious, that it was created. And in being created, it had a certain order to it. It was made in a certain way, according to certain reasons, for certain purposes. And so the great challenge is to understand that order. Now, following on that, if you understand a universe that has a particular order, the question of, well, what do I, or what does a human being do in that order? How does a human being find happiness, or goodness, or how do I live? And the answer to that question, typically in that kind of worldview, and that kind of perspective on the universe, is some version of saying something like, the way you find happiness and the way you step into goodness, the way you discover your own fulfillment, the way you find purpose, is by growing into that order, finding your place in the order of the universe and embracing it, growing in it, and being fulfilled in it. So, in short, there's an order out there that the, is the way things are, and the road to happiness for human beings individually and as a society is to step into that order participate in that order and grow in that participation. Okay, that's one view. The second view of the universe, which I'm calling the scientific materialistic, says there's no order to the universe. In fact, the universe emerged from a very, very long process, but nonetheless a random process of the combination of force, energy, particles, etc., that emerged in or has landed us in the things that exist. The things that exist have come from that process. That means the universe doesn't have a particular order to it. It doesn't have a particular purpose or intentionality to it. And so there's nothing outside to which we conform to as an order, a cosmic order in the universe. Now, what's it say about an individual then? If you ask the question, the same question we asked of this other worldview, well, what's it mean to live a good life? What's it mean to be fulfilled? What's it mean to be happy? A great question, right? The question that every civilization is asked. What's it mean to be happy? In this view, there's a number of answers, but the most common one is something like this. Well, there's no order to the universe. There's no particular end or purpose to it. So happiness is whatever this being thinks will make it happy. Because after all, human beings in this view are themselves the product of a random process. They're the accidental combination of a set of things that at a certain point gained consciousness, could think, and in thinking and self-reflecting has decided, well, what is happiness, has asked that question. And the answer is simple. Happiness is whatever that self-reflecting being thinks is happiness. And so what's the goal in such a worldview? The goal in such a worldview is to maximize the opportunity for people to make choices. If I can extend my choices, if I can expand my choices, and then have the freedom to pursue those choices, that's the road to happiness. Now, that's not my view, and I, I think probably you suspect that. 
But what I want to say about it is it actually makes a lot of sense. It follows from the premise of what kind of universe you think it is that we inhabit. If it is a random universe, then that makes perfect sense that the road to happiness is to simply choose things that you think will make you happy. And in a technological society like ours, we can really extend those options of choices. We can decide a whole set of things that weren't available to people 300, 400 years ago simply because things are technologically possible now in life that didn't exist back then. So two very different views of what the universe is, and that has ramifications for how we think about human beings, how they should live, and what constitutes our happiness. Extremely important. Part two. Let's talk about now the understanding, the vision of man and woman, male and female. Because that comes now, that follows from that more basic understanding or conviction about what the universe is. So let me start with the biblical view, the Christian uh, account of male and female. And the place we should start if we're going to do a biblical view is, view is the Bible. So let's start with Genesis 1.27. Genesis 1.27, so God created them in his image. In his image, God created them, male and female. A couple things to note here. I want to note four things about sort of the biblical understanding of male and female. Number one, we're all created. We've already talked about that. So there's a order to things. There's a way things work. Secondly, note from the very beginning, God created them, male and female. Note, he doesn't say he created them rich and poor. He doesn't say he created them Argentinian and Chilean. He doesn't say he created them strong and weak. The one distinction built into our creation is male and female, man and woman. It's not something that we can change or alter. It's not like economic status or culture that's the product of historical forces. It's built into the nature, the order of this universe, this cosmic order we're talking about. Now, this is important to note because it means it's not changing. The third thing we note in this view is that we get a reason a little bit later in Genesis for why this creation has made this distinction, why God made a distinction between male and female. And to put it shortly, it's because it's not good that man should be alone. This is the line we get, right? In other words, the point being, God made a distinction between male and female precisely so there could be union. He made us for relationship. He made us to be in relationship with one another. There's a fulfillment that comes in relationship, this bond that comes together, male and female, that's committed that we, we might call love, right? And from this bond, we get children. And so we get fruitfulness as well as the joy of the bond itself. It creates more love, it produces more love. Uh, a brief theological point from the Christian viewpoint is this is part of being made in the image of God, because God as God, is a relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is one, but God is three, and that three is a relationship, and it's a relationship of love. So in an analogous way, not in an exact way, male-female love in the 
uh, the fruitfulness of that yielding children is in the image in an analogous way of God who is a relationship. So relationship is also built into the universe. It's part of the original plan. And the fourth point about this biblical view I just want to offer is that God declared it good. In other words, this plan is a good plan. It brings joy. It brings fulfillment. It brings happiness. It's meant to be a source of love, and it comes from love. Now, we can imagine that you could come up with the idea of a God who made a distinction between two different kinds of creatures, the purpose of which was maybe to be at war with one another or to push back and forth and create balance. But that's not what we hear here. What we hear here is union and that union is good. Okay? So that's a basic little synopsis. It's way too short of the biblical view. Well, let's take some sort of current ideas and let's compare it to some of these current ideas. Note, if you don't believe there's an order in the universe, then you don't believe that necessarily the distinction between male and female is at all sort of built into any necessary situation. Now, granted, male and female is important because as far as we know, it's the means for making more of a species, for perpetuating a species. That's what we've learned, or that's what evolution has yielded, so to speak. But apart from that, the rest is accidental. The rest is changeable, if possible. If you can change it, change it. The rest can be adjusted. It's the difference between, say, male and female is more like the difference between ethnicity or the difference between hair color or the difference between rich and poor, things that are culturally determined that are products of history, but are not necessarily built into any order. Okay, so that's a difference. Another key difference with this scientific materialistic view is that if you ask the question, well, are human beings made for relationship? You say, well, no. Uh, they're actually individuals. They're individual entities that have emerged from a random process, but there's nothing in them that inherently says they're built for relationship. They have their own needs, their own needs for survival and flourishing, and they may enter into relationships with others, they may have contracts with others, they may find it helpful to do things together, build houses or whatever, but there's nothing in the way they work that is intended or organized for relationship in a foundational way because there's no order period, right? Now, let me just take a minute, put on my Catholic hat for a second, and just make an observation. And one that I think has become more clear in these COVID days. It's been the reflection of the last three Catholic popes. It's been the reflection of many thinkers, including one of my great heroes, Mother Teresa, that the greatest poverty in the modern world is isolation. It's not material poverty. It's isolation. It's being alone. And I think this pandemic has made it clear just how loneliness is so destructive and how isolation can be so destructive to the human being. It can be a cause of such great sorrow and great suffering. And it just might be a hint, it's not an argument, but a hint that maybe, maybe we were made for relationship. 
that there's something in us that's part of us, that's more than just instinct, but is maybe part of a plan or purpose that points to our need to be with others. And so again, I know that's not an argument, but I just want to put it out there because I think it's worth reflecting on, particularly in the days we're in. Okay, I want to ask another question, though, of both of these worldviews before I move on. And the question is simply this. When you look around at life, anyone who's got their eyes open, and if you've done a little bit of history, you see something that you need that needs explanation, and namely this. Men and women, man and woman, this distinction, this biological distinction, and maybe a deeper distinction, seems to, in many cases, not all, but in many cases, to yield not joy and love and even just working together, but quite the opposite. It seems to yield oppression, exploitation, uh, treating one another as things to be used and perhaps discarded. Well, how do we account for that? How do we account for that? What do we do about it once we account for it? Where did it come from and what do we do about it? If we look at the created order view, we can we have an explanation. And I won't go into it, but it's an explanation you've probably been hearing already in many of the Sikh talks, which is human beings sinned. They broke relationship with God. They used their freedom and they stepped out of the order that God had created. There are consequences to that. Where there was once love, there's now lust. Where there once was shared dignity, there's now oppression and exploitation, etc. And Jesus Christ came to heal that. But no, he healed it by restoring the original order, by putting things back in the way they were meant to be. He doesn't eliminate male and female. He heals and restores things as they were meant to be. In this other view, we get a different perspective. We can look at those same dynamics and say, you know what? And this is a typical answer, not the only answer, but a typical answer, which says, you know, wherever I see distinctions between men and women, I see inequality, oppression, exploitation. And so the answer isn't to heal anything. There's no order to be healed. The answer is to maybe perhaps eliminate the difference altogether. After all, the male and female distinction is largely the product of a random process. And if we can find other ways to advance the species and make sure the species survives, then the biological differences just aren't that significant. So in order to remove oppression and exploitation, let's just eliminate difference altogether. I just want you to see that. It's, again, not my view, but it's not unreasonable. And note the motive behind it. The motive behind getting rid of distinction between male and female could be the desire to remove some really awful things, exploitation, etc. I think it's important, brothers and sisters, that we see that these arguments come from different fundamental starting points, but in cases of goodwill, they're aiming for goods. They're aiming to deal with human problems and try to solve. This is the philosophy. Let me end with this. I, I hope this has helped you think through these things. And it hasn't spent enough time on it, I know it. But let me just end this with an evocation to the men who are watching this. And you're saying, okay, this is great, but how do I become a Christian man? Here's what I want to say to you. The vision of Christian manhood 
in the Bible is refracted through fatherhood. Through a father who takes responsibility and who gives his life for the sake of the flourishing of others. That's what it means to be a Christian man. And as you ask that question, as you read your Bible, as you pray, as you think, how does a, how does a Christian man behave? Refract it through the lens of fatherhood. As one who takes responsibility for others, who lays his life down for others, who gives his all that others may flourish. If you start there, you're going to get great answers to those questions. Brothers and sisters, it's been a delight to be with you. I pray you're having a great conference. My prayers are with you for this conference, and God bless you. Thanks for listening, friends. To hear more content from speakers like this, join us for Seek 23 in St. Louis, January the 2nd through the 6th. Visit seek.focus.org to learn more.